Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have The Lost Boys, starring Jason Patrick, Corey Haim, Diane Weiss, Edward Herman, Kiefer Sutherland, Jamie Gertz, and Corey Feldman. Screenplay by Janice Fisher, Jeffrey Bohm, and James Jeremias, and directed by Mr. Joel Schumacher. <laughs> Let's see how this goes. The last time we talked about him, it was a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> it was. <laughs> but welcome back to Rice Smile Films. We are continuing on with our vampire cask. Uh, we did The Hunger last week, and today from 1987, the Lost Boys. I know this is a favorite among horror aficionados. Uh, it's a favorite among us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, I think we have a lot to talk about from the cast to the story, where it gets its roots from with Peter Pan and, and whatnot. But I'm really excited for this episode. I just rewatched I watched The Lost Boys probably about like two months ago. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so I'm really fresh for this film. Um, let's pour some here. Yeah, pour some. While you're doing that, uh, just a few housekeeping things, uh, just to remind everybody, uh, the Patreon is still churning along. We just recorded our prom night watch along. So if you want to hear some embarrassing prom stories, mm-hmm. hear about slasher film history, Leslie Nielsen and Jamie Lee Curtis, <laughs> go sign up for that. Listen to that. It was a lot of fun. Um, the link to sign up is in the show notes of this episode. So all you have to do is just hit the button right from where you're listening. Yeah. And we're going to be doing our Heather's episode uh, coming up next week. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Because I haven't seen that in a long time. Yeah. It's been a while for me too. Okay. Excellent. And then extra reminder, you know, we have merch on T public right now. We got a slew of lost boys and vampire shirts. Uh, so if you want your Santa Clara, you want your frog brothers, go, go get one of those. I think I'm going to go snag up some of those myself. Sweet. Uh, and then we have a regular design. So if you want them in a mug, a t-shirt, a sticker or a pillow, I have that rice smile pillow, which is awesome. Um, you can go snag those up as well. And then for those listening on any podcast, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, uh, go subscribe, go leave a review. It's how other people are able to kind of find the show and the metrics. Um, but when you subscribe, you know, the episodes just get downloaded to you automatically. So you don't have to go searching for them. So piece of cake that way. Absolutely. Well, to, to that, to that, to you. Cheers. Cheers to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were trying to decipher how have we gone through this bottle so fast. I think that's why, cause it's so good. Yeah. That's <laughs> the start. It's really tasty. It's really smooth. And I get a lot of, um, vanilla. I get vanilla. I get a little bit of leather too. Yeah. Which that sounds weird. It's like, why do you want to drink leather? It's just like it's just like the the aromas that you get. Yep. There's a touch, a touch of smoke in there to me. Not cigar smoke, mm-hmm. like uh, smoker smoke, barbecue smoke. A little bit, yeah. yeah my favorite smoke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, without further ado, let's jump right into our flight question. Love it. 
such a good tune. That's my favorite song to sing when I'm drunk. Like, oh. I'll just belt it out, whether it's playing in the car. I have actually never done it at karaoke, but um, I just love just because towards the end, he just holds, he goes, cry, little sister. And he like holds it for like 10 sec, 15 seconds. And I try, I try and do it. And it's, it's so much fun. It sounds terrible when I'm drunk. Of so you've moved on from Betty Davis eyes then to that, I guess. Sure. Yeah. I like that song too. <laughs> so do I. Uh, he did never, that's a joke. I just made that up. He's never saying that. Yeah. Being that we're stuck here in the vampire, uh, films, this vampire cask, it's been fun to kind of talk about all the different actors that have played Nosferatu and Dracula and every vampire in between, including the ones we're going to talk about today. But there's a lot of really good supporting characters all around that too. The people that have to fight the vampires, the people that, you know, are preyed upon. And then the people that are just there on the side as well. So my flight question to you this week is, what are your top three favorite uh, characters from vampire films that aren't the vampire? This is fun. Mm -hmm. It's a important sidekick role because they have to be able to at least match the vampire in some manner mm -hmm. or be or succumb to the vampire number three all the way back from our first true iteration of a vampire film mr todd browning and mr edward van sloan as van helsing we're going to see this character a little bit in the universal series going forward he just looks like the egghead's the wrong way to put it but uptight doctor that is... Oh, yeah, uptight doctor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is so caught in the science of discovery that they don't recognize the harm that the discovery or the journey to discovery might mm -hmm. unfold. Yeah. He has no chance against Bela mm -hmm. Dracula, mm -hmm. but he does, and the best part in that for him is the part with the reflection. Oh, yeah. And he kind of, like, catches him off mm -hmm. guard, yeah. Yep. Uh, how important was Edward Von Sloan in the origin of Universal Monsters? Because he showed up in that. He's he's the Doctor in Frankenstein, not Doctor Frankenstein, but he's like his like cohort that's like researching this stuff with him. Pretty sure he's the warning in the beginning of Frankenstein too. Yeah, he well, don't yeah, say we didn't yeah, he warn you. He comes out and like literally puts panic in 1932's audience, yeah. and then he's at the beginning. He's the archaeological digger in the opening of the Mummy as oh, yeah, well. That's right. So. Yep. He kind of showed up in a lot of those, and I don't think people talk about Edward Von Sloan ever, ever. When, when talking about Universal Monsters, so we're doing it today. Do you hear that, Alice Cooper? <laughs> it's time to record another song, buddy. Oh, that'd be cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the Ballad of Edward Von Sloan. Exactly. Number three for me, I am going with... Uh, now, this is interesting, because I don't necessarily know if it's good in the movie, but I'm going to mainly more kind of talk about why that character is important. Um, it's Richard Straker from Salem's Lot in the TV miniseries. He's played by James Mason. Uh, and oh, who played him in the 2004 Rob Lowe version? I'll look it up here in a second. I don't know if it's well played or well cast, but that character just in vampire lore, I think is important. The, uh, the, fam uh, the familiar, mm -hmm. the person that's going to go and do the bidding, the, the day bidding, of the vampire that's asleep uh, at during the day, who's going to pray at night. Richard Staker's uh, whole thing is, you know, he's setting up shop in Salem's Lot with this kind of quasi like uh, antique, store. antique store, and that's the front for them to just kind of prey upon this town. 
Uh, but I like the way he's like shifty. He's, but he's under the guise of Barlow. You know what I mean? Like he has to do his bidding much like we're going to see with Renfield late or in Dracula or in not to let the cat out of the bag, but we get another one in next week's film as well. Another familiar. And they, they have a comedic angle on that in, in uh, what we do in the shadows as well. So I think that aspect of the vampire is important and my dream casting, I would love to see Gary Oldman play a Richard Straker in a real Salem slot. Good choice. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that one, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I love the selection. And then that they use James Mason. Yeah, that's that's the interesting part. Yeah. Understated and drunk. Mm-hmm. Probably in this film, too, right? Most likely. Yeah, he just uh, brings to a film that was pretty low budget and pretty schlocky. Mm-hmm a sense of legitimacy to it as the comparable sidekick, almost Edward G. Robinson like in double indemnity. Absolutely. And he was probably the name that they got, right? Who's for sure. David soul or Bonnie Bedelia. It was like, people know James Mason, right? So David soul, was that Starsky or was that Hutch? That was Hutch. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Hutch is putting a lot of butts in television seats. Sure. Yeah. Good. Love it. Great choice. Thank you. Number two, Mm -hmm. Going to go to a favorite of mine in one of his earlier, I think, successes. It's filled with some misses, too. Mm-hmm. But the character is Jonathan Harker, and it's Mr. Keanu Reeves. I think that that is what I need my Harker to be. If you go to the Browning 31, that's the worst Harker. Mm. That guy trying to save anybody is about as likely as uh, knocking down the Great Wall of China with a dirt clod. He's a clown, but this well, that Keanu Har- Reeves. That Harker is interesting too because they almost go the point of view of Renfield yeah. setting up shop and then coming back all messed up, and that's supposed to be Harker from the book. So right. Harker gets a little bit shortchanged in that original, yeah. So a little compromised, and the pure state that he arrives at Dracula's manor, and then where we see him at the end. Big difference. Mm-hmm. And it would make sense. It's almost like when he gets vamped by Bellucci and the other two brides of, of Dracula, or mm-hmm. almost, mm-hmm. there is almost something that they unlock in him. And Reeves at that time could be a little bit wooden. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not yeah, anything this is the, groundbreaking. The era of Point Break and yeah. Bill and Ted. Yeah. And that's just more about his, I think, voice than it is his actual acting chops. Mm-hmm. But when he finishes or when the brides finish with him, that's a much different Harker for the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. And you consider his relationship and what's left with Mina after he's run into Bellucci. Man, it's almost like going from the whorehouse to the school marm. Mm-hmm. And one of those is entirely more fun. Yeah. And he knows it. Yeah. I love that character. Uh, and a movie that's a strange film, mm-hmm. some good and some bad. Yeah, that is a, it's a very perplexing. I, I kind of like it, actually. Yeah. Um, but good choice. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Number two for you. Number two for me. Uh, I got to pick another slayer of sorts. I'm going to pick Mr. Peter Vincent from Fright Night. The Roddy McDowell version, not mm-hmm. the Chris Angel, David Tennant version. <laughs> Mainly because, you know, I really like how much of a non-believer he is. And he does it all for show. It's it's a gimmick. It's a paycheck. And even that's a joke. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's not until shit hits the fan. And there's a moment in there. I'm not going to go into too much detail with that, but it's it's the moment that makes me love that character so much. And I love Roddy McDowell. 
And there's something that makes his mellow, melodic presence make that character work even more. Mm-hmm. So, and I love that he's named after Peter Cushing and Vincent Price. Right. So, so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Roddy McDowell, that's excellent selection. Yeah. Really good. Number one, mm-hmm. you know where I'm going with this, mm-hmm. don't you? Of I'm course you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, back all the way to 1931 again. <laughs> going to the same film, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Previously referenced with Alice Cooper, this is none other than Mr. Dwight Fry. He's the best part of the movie. No doubt about yeah. it. If you doubt that, then fire it up, and we won't be covering that film next week, but we will get to it sometime. Promises. Yeah. When the nurse faints on the floor, and he, in that very vampiric, cat-like manner, crawls across the floor, and it's tight on, and then the closing of his mouth to her neck, and then we fade out. Mm-hmm. Man, that is good. Yeah. And he is, as much as Bella Lugosi is all in as Count Drac in that, oh, he is all in, too. Super all in, plus one. A sea of rats, rats. He's just amazing in the film and frankly steals every scene that he's in. Well, my favorite's when they open up the boat and he's like, ah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's creepy. As a guy that was found as essentially like a, a set hand, like a grip, mm-hmm. they needed a roll filled. Dwight happened to be there. Pretty tragic into him, actually. Didn't have the best run of it, drugs and lots of other kind of... I think of... he died of a heart attack on like a trolley or something. Yeah. yeah. And was um, He and Lugosi both did not have a real great end to their lives. Yeah. Lots of uh, opiates. But um, yeah, Dwight Fry was amazing in that. And he's a pretty comparable Igor in every role that he played, whether he's dropping brains or helping Dracula find his next victim. <laughs> Strange what you find on set, I guess. You know, I I uh, I hadn't seen Frankenstein meets the Wolfman in oh since I was a kid, and I watched that recently. He's in it, he but he's not like a, a main character. He's like a townie, mm-hmm. and I was like, is that Dwight Fry? <laughs> Look it up. Sure enough, it was him. So even it was nice to see him show up in something like that. Yeah, great choice. I knew you were gonna go there. He's he's so good, and it's because you know they even Todd Browning found a way to reinvent Renfield because Renfield is locked up in an insane asylum for most of traditional Dracula. Yeah. He's played by Tom Waits in the... Tom Waits and Coppola's, yeah. And, the Coppola and shown in the manner you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My number one... I can't wait. If it's not Dwight Fry, I, I have no idea where you're going. Well, it's not Dwight Fry. If, if you know, we're going to pick, you know, traditional vampire, of course it's going to be a Van Helsing, but mm-hmm. I'm not taking the one that you picked. I'm actually going to take Mr. Peter Cushing in The Horror of Dracula primarily for one moment in particular and it's at it's towards the end of the film when he's fisticuffs like they mm. like Peter Cushing was like a really active actor and would leap over desks and do his own stunts and he gets into a nice little battle with Christopher Lee's Dracula at the end of that film but there's a moment when he kind of realizes I can beat this guy and he's like if I just go and rip those drapes down I can melt him with the sunlight so they cut to him, and he climbs up on the table and runs and does a leap at the drapes and yanks them down. And I'm like, oh, my God, Like this guy like went and did that and then melts Christopher Lee. It's, it's great. I love his portrayal of, of, of Van Helsing. And he got to play it a couple times throughout the Hammer Horror series, Brides of Dracula. Uh, and then he came back against opposite Lee. But there's just something about his presence, too. I mean, he was always the straight man to Christopher Lee's monster. He got to play the Frankenstein when they did Curse of Frankenstein, or Dr. Frankenstein. No perfect look, yeah. He got to play, uh, 
you know, the guy that the mummy, he was looking for the mummy and their version of the mummy. So, yeah, interesting. And then even when they did, uh, they did Hounds of the Baskervilles and he's the Sherlock Holmes to uh, Christopher Lee's, what what's, what's his sidekick's name? Watson? Yeah, uh, Christopher Lee's Watson. Really? So, yeah, so he's like really good at playing that character, the the A type, the le- the leader type. And he did it no better than Van Helsing. It was, it was so good. So, you know, I'm going to tell you something. Okay. I've seen some of that Hammer Horror, not all of it. So I know a couple of them. You know, I've never seen Horror of Dracula. It's so good. How shameful. You know who's in it too? Hmm. Michael Goff. Really? Yeah, Tim Burton Alfred, yeah. No kidding. I think he's not the Jonathan Harker, but he's like another like constituent there that's like there at the house when all the women are being vamped. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The Carrie Yule's part from Coppola's. Yeah, that, maybe I think, that I think guy. he's that character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Huh. So that's my that's my number one. Uh, so many different ones to, to pick from. Mm. There's, there's so many different characters, but maybe we'll have to flip it on its head and pick our favorite vamps for next week's episode. Love that. Excellent. Nice job. Absolutely. So are you ready? You ready to head to California? See what we find there in the murder capital of the world? Thou shall not cry. (laughs) Let's dive right into our review breakdown of The Lost Boys. Unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. Are you guys sniffing old newsprint or something? You think you really know what's happening around here, don't you? Well, I'll tell you something. You don't know shit, buddy. Yeah. You think we just work in a comic book store for our folks, huh? Actually, I thought it was a bakery. This is just our cover. We're dedicated to a higher purpose. We're fighters for truth, justice, and the American way. Right. Hey, man. Read this. I told you, I don't like horror comics. Think of it more as a survival manual. There's a number on the back. And pray that you never need to call us. I really like that line, truth, justice, in the American way. Because I never realized up until this viewing that Richard Donner was the producer of this film. So, boom, Superman reference right in the middle of this film. Yeah. But, man, we got to start out with this. How advantageous of us to do Lost Boys this weekend when literally last night at 8 o'clock, the Hollywood Reporter... Big announcement, yeah. A remake, reimagining, reboot... Actively being fast-tracked at, at Warner Brothers with the cast of It. One of the It kids and the boy from Quiet Place. Is it, uh, it's not um, the one, Finn Wolfhard, is it? No, no, no. I think it's the one that played, the one that played Bill. Okay, good. Yeah. But, Sweet. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I don't know if I'm, you know what I mean? Like, I'd rather see, you know, original vampire come up with like a, a new one versus that. Because to me, this film is very much of the time it was made in from the the, the clothing, the look, the mm-hmm. music that's played. So they're going to have to really kind of do something unique with that to make it stand up next to this one. So we'll see. I thought that was kind of interesting that that kind of came in the pipe. And I was like, hey, we're recording tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. I almost sent it to you, but we yeah. saw the same announcement. The Lost Boy starts out, you know, Santa Carla. I think I said Santa Clara. That's a real city. Yeah. Uh, Santa Carla is not. But here we are in like a Coney Island-esque, you know, almost kind of like Stromboli's Island. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like here's like this like uh, boardwalk fair atmosphere where all the youths get to just run wild, run amok, make uh, just be obscene. And we get this like little incident on like the merry-go-round and like the... 
we kind of meet our titular four lead vampires. I really only know Kiefer Sutherland and Alex Winter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we kind of see, you know, these are the the Lost Boys. These are the ones that are kind of put out. They have no real path. They have no real direction. But they also so happen to be vampires. And we see them kind of prey on uh, this security guard that, like, kicks them out. And we kind of get on uh, with the with the beginning of the film. One thing I've always really appreciated about the Lost Boys, I really like the aerial camera photography they use to kind of um, simulate them flying as bats or or them like flying through the air. I always thought that was really cool. So that over the head of them like stalking the security guard, I was like, I was like, that's really good. I, I really appreciate that in this in this film. And you get that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we've had a lot of discussions in the most recent weeks over aerial battles that we're tired of. Oh, yeah. Right? So, if after all of the Marvel aerial battles we've discussed, you're able to present something bird's eye view from a superior position in the air and make it look interesting, I'm on board with that. But mostly what you get is, in a strange way, without identifying it specifically, you get to play one of the Lost Boys, as they put you right in the pack or the Mm. flight um, of them descending upon whatever it was, or if it's just patrolling looking for their next victims. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, me too. We don't often get really fast, capable flying vampires. Now, I think they can fly Mm -hmm. in bat form, but that's not nearly as terrifying as a human. It's just stronger. Yeah, I don't... Last week, I don't think Bowie and them were transforming into bats and traversing land you know what i mean they were having to take taxis to like finish out their prey yeah they barely even had fangs yeah they had to use those little onks right so, so here we have you know like full-on vampires they have the fangs they can only be in the nighttime mm-hmm. they can fly we, we don't i don't think we know if they can transform yet but they do have a bit of a transformation when they're in full vamp mode and i yeah. love that part too yeah but we kind of introduce, and I, I like this about the story too, and this is something the 80s was just really good at, was like kind of fish out of water stories. So we're introduced to this family, Diane Weiss, Jason Patrick, and Corey Haim, the Emersons, mm-hmm. <laughs> as they're relocating from Phoenix to Santa Carla. Carla. You almost <laughs> got me going, Clara, too. Yeah, Carla. The murder capital of the world. And it's, I, I love this opening montage, you know, because... It's not even the Doors version of People Are Strange. It's like, I think it's Echo and the, the, Bunnyman. the Bunnyman's version of that. And this town kind of sucks. I mean, it's run down. There's the, the homeless running amok. It looks kind of disgusting. And they're kind of like, what did we come into? And I think that's maybe kind of maybe the best unsaid thing of the film is why they're relocating. Yeah. Um, I don't think we get any... Really? I know she lost her job, mm-hmm. um, but other than that, we don't know much. And I guess she's going to take a job working at a video store yeah. of all places because <laughs> that'll pay the bills. The interesting portrayal of Santa Carla mm-hmm. is that the heartbeat and the pulse is that boardwalk area and the use that populate it. Mm-hmm. However, there is a small cancer that's very noticeable in this montage, and it's the multiple postings the missing posters of missing children. Mm-hmm. And and now the missing security guard too. Oh yeah, the miss. You're right. Mm-hmm. So there's something going on. And what's great about it too is okay when we drive into Santa Carla, we see the sign "Welcome to Amity Island." Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. then on the back side of the sign, mm-hmm. almost hidden, undercover, yeah, is "Welcome to the Murder Capital of the World." And Jason Patrick's character, Michael, 
notices that right away. And it's such a good way to sort of prime the pump for what the hell are we getting ourselves into? Mm -hmm. Now we know that because we've seen the trailers and the music and clearly we're not in some farcical romp. And we saw the opening too. So we know know something's afoot. (laughs) Great opening. Uh, Yeah. I I really like how they set up the town. That's going to like be kind of just the backdrop here. Isn't it weird? It's almost like the, the kids in the town too are sort of, surf punk carny mm-hmm. chic yeah isn't it weird surf punk carny chic wrap your mind around that one <laughs> that, might, that might only make sense to me but in my mind that is no i get it yeah because yeah, it is there is a bit of a carny atmosphere here in the way that this you know boardwalk and, and dirt bikes you know what i mean like that's yeah. like yeah surf dirt bike carny chic bmx <laughs> yeah there you go bmx chic weird yeah it's it's, it's a weird vibe but it, it somehow fits and then the the clothing they wear but we know that they've relocated this town. They're going to live with dad, who's an interesting character, too. And we find that he's got, like, the kind of the, the last stinging line that he kind of knows what's been going on this whole time yeah. and has failed to disclose this to his family. Yeah. But, you know, you know, they're having to live here and just kind of reestablish themselves. And first of all, Jason Patrick looks like he shouldn't even be living at home anymore. Like, he's already, like, in his, like, mid to late 20s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite bit of trivia about Jason Patrick, and I, I know we've, we've mentioned this at some point before, but it's very appropriate now. His dad is Jason Miller, Father Karras from The Exorcist. Like, what a great piece of horror trivia, and you would never know, you know what I mean? Yep, changed the name and didn't go with it. Exactly, so his dad was Damien. <laughs> it's an interesting career in film with him too, isn't it? Oh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, uh, some really good stuff and some really also good stuff that nobody saw. Do you like Narc? Love it. Yeah, that one's pretty good. I think the one that like ruined him was Speed 2 Cruise Control. I think yeah. that was like a a high bulletin action vehicle for him to headline, filling in for Keanu Reeves because he was like, I ain't doing that movie. And it wasn't good, you know what I mean? No. Like that was a bad move on, on his part. But uh, he's very good in, the, in this film. I kind of like, I mean, the, the film's mostly seen through his eyes and his experiences with the Lost Boys as they kind of initiate him into the ranks of the vampiric. Um, but then on the flip side of that, I like that we get, this is, it's like a film of two different paths and we get that version where we're deep into the roots of the vampire and how they operate and the rules and the love story. And then his younger brother is, you know, the Van Helsing esque aspect of this film who is very much the believer in the supernatural or like he's already in the fantastical cause he's a big comic book nerd uh, and when he approaches the Frog Brothers comic book shop looking for Batman number 14 or 13, there's only four in existence. Because he has one of them. And I'm looking for the other three. Okay, yeah. why don't you go buy your mom a new house and sell those off? Exactly. Like, <laughs> right. But he meets the Frog Brothers, Corey Feldman and Jameson Newlander, who are already suspect to what's going on here. And almost like the town sayers of you want to watch out for them vampires there and if you do hear read this comic book it might save your life but what i appreciate so much about the frog brothers is on the exterior or they look so tough when they show up and they're like this and they got their bandanas and they're all serious and macho and then when they actually get into the thick of it with the vampires they're just like ah in ah! <laughs> way over their heads way over their heads so i like that this is our this is our help, you know what I mean? Yeah. So what? how, how are we going to fare in the battle against evil? So if you think about it, it's 
the felt the Corys and Jameson Newlander as the agent to take down this ring of very powerful vampires. We like that story-wise because they, even though they have a tough exterior, it it's pretty clear that if you're working in a comic book store with your two hippie parents that I think are so stoned they just sleep every hour of the shift away. Yeah. Man, if that's the first line of defense or last line of defense, yeah. we have a pretty big task ahead of yeah, us. A long road before us. I also love that in that boardwalk setting, there does seem to be the necessity of either a comic book store or an arcade, and there might even be an arcade. I didn't look at the, the set that closely. Mm-hmm. That fits perfectly. And in 1987, everybody realized that comic book world was not as widely accepted as it is now. And the kind of people that went in there were weirdos. Yeah, strange. God but, forbid, but because yeah. I was one of them too. But, you know, and they fit the bill. Mm-hmm. The Frog Brothers, they're not coming over for your birthday party on Saturday, oh, Jesse. No way. <laughs> they're not even. I don't think I want them to. Me either. <laughs> yeah. And. Here comes, like you said, the fish out of water who's not dressed like anyone else on the boardwalk. Mm-hmm. And they do a good job putting Haim in some pretty horrific outfits. Yeah, well, some of yeah. those trench coats are brutal, right? <laughs> and we create this triumvirate of <laughs> defense against the dark vampire forces. Yeah, there you go. That, that's well said. My goodness, look out. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're so well set up. We're, we're in for it with, with these guys. And the script to fight them is a comic book? Yeah, we're, we're literally off of like some EC comic book from like the eighties of like some horror Tomb of Dracula, Marvel's Tomb of Dracula. Dracula bites is our is our uh, blueprint on how to ward off the Nosferatu. Like this is where they've gotten their rules from. Is this like I, that's great? I, I love that. And then later, at the end, when they realize who Head Vampire is, and he was like, "Did you know about that?" He's like, "Of course, everybody does." Like they don't even know. They're like they're just like flying by the seat of their pants. And I, I think that's why I like them so much. I thought about this last night when that announcement came across for the new Lost Boys, mm-hmm. and specifically, I thought about it with you because we varied a bit on the rekindling of that '80s nostalgia mystery with the Haim, the Corys, and like the Frog Brothers. Yeah, yeah. In 1987, it was original and germane and unique and authentic to the time. Is it possible, whether it's it or Stranger Things or whatever new trope you want, the new Ghostbusters film has a little bit of that in there? Yeah. Can we get enough of that rekindled in an authentic way that you buy it or do you just wish they would move it to contemporary? Oh, good question. Uh, But you see, if we move it to contemporary, then we're like, Cell phones and TikTok, mm-hmm. and that's just as annoying. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, I don't know. Set it in the 50s. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, do something different with it. Because my big thing with, like, remakes and these reimaginings, and I've come across this because I just revisited Psycho. I told you how, of course, it's amazing. Yeah. But when they redid the remake, and it was shot for shot with a much inferior cast mm-hmm. uh, and inferior everything else, I was like, if I have the option to watch these two, Lost Boys reimagining in this one, I'm probably going to watch this one. You know what I mean? Yep. I'll watch this this one time to get it out of my system. But then where's the replay value? you got to totally refigure or reconfigure what that means, the Lost Boys today, if you're going to do it today mm-hmm. or if you're going to set it in the 80s. I don't know if I want either. You know what I mean? I, kinda, I do. I want like a total just kind of reshifting of that entire idea. 
Because what works, why it's called the Lost Boys, is this group, these kind of wayward latchkey kids that have their own daddy issues, you Mm. know what I mean? And, you know, they don't have a place, they don't have a home, they've been stricken with such a horrible curse, as we discussed last week. What would it be like to just live for years and watch all your loved ones pass before you, and you have to feed on, on blood and flesh? It kind of sucks, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. cool at first, but, and we see the cool aspects, you know, when they're hanging from the bridge and one of us, Michael, and it has some perks, but again, it doesn't. So they, I mean, they live in a Chantate cave mm-hmm. off the side of the coast. Um, what was a hotel before there was an earthquake and it fell oh, into yeah, itself, in isn't ni- that right? 1906, yeah. yeah. So because of the earthquake, they now have like a little small sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the introduction of, Jamie Gertz's character, who's not fully vampiric. She's may as well be one of these familiars that I was talking about, like Straker and Renfield, that is kind of doing a little bit of their bidding, but she hasn't made her first kill yet to become fully initiated. I think that's the thing, is you must kill, and then you're one of us. Google gobble, one of us. One of us. Uh, so she hasn't done that. But I love her introduction at this boardwalk concert with rock saxophonist tim capello what that is so weird i love it it's it's it can you imagine and all these kids are eating it up you know what i mean they're like yeah and he's just like shirtless and ripped (laughs) i gotta be that guy for halloween one of these oh you do that would be awesome i'll do it all right but what a weird scene and i I think what's weird just how much they love that music because that doesn't seem like that'd be the vibe of 1987's youth. Like they want like Guns N' Roses, you know what I mean? Right. They don't want Tim Capello. No, they don't. Uh, but and the way that he's presented too, it's just he, flames, flames, like sweat and everything. And I, I got to give him props because you know I did play saxophone, and he's playing with like out a neck strap, which is kind of like what holds it up and keeps it even for you to be able to play. Like no neck strap, he's just like. Fully going for it. So to that, that's hard. Yeah, take that, Glenn Danzig. Yeah. <laughs> Look at Tim Capella. This guy has really got it. Take that, Stan Getz. <laughs> Stan Getz. Uh, so a wild introduction. One of my favorite scenes of the film. But we see how transfixed Jason Patrick is to to Jamie Gertz here with her flowing locks of curly hair. Well, and She's gorgeous. Oh, absolutely. I think it, it, less than zero is the same year, 87. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big year for Jamie Gertz. We'll talk about her a little bit later. (laughs) But uh, I think she's an interesting character, too, because she's almost like the pseudo mother figure of the Lost Boys. And then they have like a lost, like, little drummer boy. (laughs) Yeah. That is under their guise who was Nosferatu'd at the age of, what, seven? Yep. And is young forever. Yep. And she's kind of like watching after him. And even when things are going. It's just called Laddie. Okay. He doesn't yeah, have a name. He just, yeah. His name's Laddie. Laddie with this little, like, drummer boy jacket. Well, you hit the nail on the head by calling them familiars. Mm-hmm. Her name is Star, Straker, yeah. Laddie. They just get, if you are the familiar in a vampire film, you don't have a first or last name. You just become an object yeah. that is a possession of Nosferatu. And so you just get one name. And Star, man, the name Star is who the hell would name their kid Star? Second. How long has she been running around at this next step ready to, I just need to now kill and I become full? I don't know. Boy. Mm -hmm. And we're going to find out more about that here in a little bit. 
But when we do find out how that's affecting Jason Patrick, mm-hmm. Michael, you have to think with Star and Laddie, oh my God, yeah. they must be living in absolute hell yeah. because they're starving. And living in filth too. Filth. How are those maggots? Mm. <laughs> maggots, Michael. You're eating maggots. How do they taste? <laughs> Leave him alone. <laughs> Pretty sad. Sorry about that. No hard feelings, huh? Oh. Why don't you try some noodles? <laughs> the worms. I mean, they're worms. <laughs> Tony. To quote, uh, uh, what we do in the shadows, have some baschetti. You are eating worms. How would you like it if you had a snake for a penis? <laughs> <laughs> I think this is an understated vampiric power, the ability to literally... Uh, brainwash your subject to think that they are watching or doing something else than what is reality. That's kind of cool. It is. We don't we don't see that frequently in these types of movies. Prior to this, I think Kiefer Sutherland was mostly associated with westerns, Young Guns. That precedes this, doesn't it? Does it? No, I think that's after. I think what he had. Well, what's like right in the wheelhouse here? Young is, Guns is eighty eight. Okay, so right. Stand it's one by year me. After. Stand by me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that when I think of Kiefer Sutherland, I think of either 24 or I think of his role in Young Guns. But I actually would argue maybe we missed the genre that he might have really been good in. When you take this and Dark City and Flatliners. Mm -hmm. Oh, Flatliners, yeah. Twice, as a matter of fact. (laughs) Second one, we'll forgive. I almost wonder if maybe he really was cut out to be a great horror actor. Like a suspense thrillers, yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a strange cast for a vampire because until um, Cruz did Lestat as the blonde, vampires traditionally are Eastern European, dark hair, dark features, Mm -hmm. right? That's fair, yeah. Austrian. Mm -hmm. Kiefer Sutherland is Scandinavian looking. Yeah. And I think it works really well in this film. Um, You want your vampire to be very cool looking and unlike any vampire we've seen before. And I think Sutherland in the vampire, but as human form of vampire brings that to the table. And let's be honest and just address it right off. Mm. He's got the voice. Oh yeah. That is vampiric seductive with every syllable that he utters. Oh yeah. He's got a, he's got a great voice just like for voice. And he's done some How voice acting. Maggots taste Michael. He's done some voice acting as of late for like video games and like right. animated things. And it, it's, it's so fitting, you know, he's, he's got an act for that, but yeah. How are those maggots, Michael? You're eating maggots, Michael. I have that Funko pop, by the way, of him with like the little Chinese food. Eating, That's awesome. Eating his worms. All right. I've had a question for a decade that I want to ask you. Oh wow. Okay. If you could take this role okay. that Sutherland is playing mm-hmm. and replace it with, at the same time, okay. Kevin Bacon, would you do it? I, can you see it? I can see it. I don't know if I want it. Yeah. Yeah. Amy Sutherland's pretty pretty perfect. And, you know, Kevin Bacon, he was a very capable actor mm-hmm. himself. So, 
Uh-huh. I can definitely picture it, but I don't know if I'd want that instead. You know what I mean? Yeah. In our heaven video store, we get to watch, you know, Paul Verhoeven's crusade and all the alternative versions of films. Maybe we'll get to watch that version with a Kevin Bacon as a uh, David. David is his name. Yeah. David power. Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd be pretty cool. So Jason Patrick drinks the blood uh, and kind of becomes, I guess, like, that's interesting, too, because he wasn't, like, bit by any of them. It's just ingesting the fluids. Again, here we are in the 80s, and we're talking about fluid ingestment. <laughs> uh, that's enough to get him under the spell in the guise of the vampire and give him some powers, the power of flight, at least. And what do you think of that scene when they take him underneath the train tracks and you're going to kind of test his will. And it's, it's almost like a leap of faith. You know what I mean? Like trust in us, be one of us, Michael, and you'll see, we'll fully open your eyes. I love it. It's bouncing back and forth between two really famous fiction stories. It's Pinocchio and Peter Pan and Peter Pan. Yeah. Clearly the boardwalk and the drinking of the blood have ties to Stromboli and Stromboli's Island. Mm -hmm. And then turning into the jackass, if you will, afterwards, but then the title of the film clearly and the ability to fly plays to the lost boys and Neverland. So I think that's a smart play and it gives everyone a sort of frame of reference, even subconsciously, if it's not identified particularly or directly in the film, but I love it because they put him in a situation where they know there's no going back. Mm -hmm. And you know what it's done through peer pressure. Yeah. Come on, you pussy. Be one of us. Can't you do it? Just do it. Just do it. What do you think, this is always kind of, I don't know, troubled is the right word, but always pondered, you know, question for me. You know, when you see Michael stroll up on the boardwalk and he's really trying to like stalking Jamie Gertz at this point to like get her attention and like talk to me, please, that David sees him and you would almost see Michael as a threat, you know what I mean? A threat to your love interest. Why do you think David is so welcoming to let him into their secret club? Oh, boy, there's a lot of theories on this one. Okay. Okay, but the first one is I think he has the look that fits the gang that David is creating. Mm -hmm. They all have, for lack of a better term, a Michael Hutchins-type feel, a look aesthetic to them. If you have a group of young, attractive rebellious, ball-breaking vampire males, you're playing on all of the traits that are hypersexualized in that young power fantasy that men have mm -hmm. 20-ish, what, 25-ish. Yeah. If you can get past the fact that Jason Patrick is probably like 30 years old in this movie and like in your mind get it to somewhere in the early 20s, mm -hmm. he seems to fit and he looks at it and I think it's mostly his hair. <laughs> Is it also kind of like a bit of a, not a competition, but like a strength of arms type thing? He's like, I'm with loaded up with uh, these doofuses, uh, Alex Winter being one of them, that he could actually be a good ally. Do you, do you kind of get that at Absolutely. all? Absolutely. Okay. If David has brought in Star, mm -hmm. then having somebody like Jason Patrick there, Michael, brings in other like stars, there's also another possibility, and you might argue, and if you want to go back and search it, there's some moments, Maybe there's a thing in the film between David and an attraction to Michael. Interesting. He didn't pick an ugly guy. No, yeah. And he does take him under his wing and does treat him better than just about any of the other ones. And there is a little bit, and it might just be 
the seductive nature of the vampire that he uses on everybody, David, using that same tone with everybody. But there is a bit of a flirtation between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And that in the vampire mythos works because it, they often vamp another male. Well, I could honestly believe that theory, too, because of who's directing the movie as well. Run with it, then go. Well, just Mr. Joel Schumacher is, you know, an openly gay man. And so, you know, if he kind of... He doesn't really do that in the Batman films. He doesn't betray the characters as that, but I could see that subtext being played out between these these two characters, and that and that would be interesting too. So, um, I, I know I've always just wondered because you know the way '80s films typically go in the John Hughes fashion, or you know all those real genius and all that mm. nonsense is uh, threat to what you already own is you want to push that away. Yeah, totally he opens the doors like, and that, I think that's interesting. Especially because I kind of think that David and Star are a couple, mm-hmm. and Michael clearly is a rival for Star's affections, and she seems to be at least considering sure. the notion of returning those ambitions. A- absolutely. Clearly. Let's get to that bit yet. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just run with that, because then I got, <sighs> I got a, a thing here after that. As Michael's trying to figure out exactly what has happened to him post-drinking of wine or fluid from David... It's a struggle, and there are there's a really great sequence with um, Haim and the dog Nanook. Mm. So, if you're a vampire, you have to feed, right? Did they ever make you watch Nanook of the North? Oh yeah, films the, oh yeah, like, every year in elementary school, beat the baby seal to death or yep. something. Yeah, yep. Anyway, I, I was like, did they get the name from that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Okay. Good. Sorry. So. Michael almost feeds on his younger brother. Yeah. But Nanook attacks Michael and then sends Michael down the stairs with the terrible cut in his hand. And things just begin to unravel. And we realize that my brother is a vampire. And the only thing that's keeping him from going all the way to that side is he's got to make a kill and feed. Mm -hmm. Well, he needs some answers. So after almost attacking my brother, I get bit by this dog. My hand heals in a matter of moments. I need some fucking answers. Mm-hmm. Where else would you go? Bet back to the source. Yeah. Goes back to the cave. Who's waiting for him? Star. And what's again for like the third or fourth time in recent memory, a pretty well shot love scene <laughs> that's supposed to be the kill that allows Star to become full vampire. And so this and she can't do it. Yeah. Cause she just wants to bet him instead. Yeah. Bed him. <laughs> God, where'd that come from? Bed him. Well, what makes it so good, too, is the, the, the silk sheath that they're underneath. You know what I mean? Hunger inspired. Mm-hmm. But maybe this is an answer to the question we discussed a moment ago. Okay. David, the whole time, recognized Michael as a potential rival, and he's going to let Star feed on him, which would then remove oh, him from him. the equation. Okay, there you go. Maybe. You didn't expect them to fall in love fully, I guess. <laughs> he just, Michael just wants answers and those answers turn into um, sex. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Can we talk about another? With Laddie around the corner, hanging out in the balcony, by the way. Exactly. What the yeah. heck, man? How about a little discretion here, Joel Schumacher? In uh, the other aspect of this film that's going on here is um, Edward Herman, who runs the video store that the mom gets a job at, but I think the reason she gets the job is, you know, his own nefarious devices. Like here he, this father figure is and cat out of the bag. He's head vampire. <laughs> dun, dun. Yeah. And his reveal later is pretty good. Even though you kind of see it coming a mile away, you're like waiting for it to happen. 
he's looking to kind of like re-put together the family. You know what I mean? Like he's looking for a suitable mate to be the matriarch of said family. Well said. And I love the courting process he kind of takes with her too. Like they're only going out at night. She's running the video store during the day. Um, and you know, they're suspicious. And it's at this point when, you know, Haim's already on to something's afoot. My, my brother's a goddamn blood sucking vampire. Yeah. I'm calling the Frog Brothers. This is insane. And so enter them and all their little tests and stuff that are just so silly. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll play that here. No, it's not cheese. It's it's garlic. They hate garlic, don't you? No, I like garlic. It's just a little much. It's raw garlic. Garlic? How did that happen? Guys, she likes garlic. Here, quick, drink some water. What's the matter with you? Does it burn? Burn? What are you, nuts? It's freezing. Oh, look at your suit, Max, and your... Oh, I'm so sorry. That's right. Gosh. Now what? Must be circuit breaker, Mom. He's not glowing. I know. Hit the light. Ah! <gasps> Sam, what has gotten into you tonight? I think I know what's going on around here tonight. You do? Yeah. I know what you're thinking, Sam, but you're wrong. Ma'am? Yeah. I'm not trying to replace your father or steal your mother away from you. I would just like to be your friend. That's all. Good night, Lucy. Interesting, huh? I mean, he's actively in the courting process. He's going to, you know, turn little Sam into a vampire at some point, too, so they can create this unholy family with the rest of the Lost Boys. Mm. But I like how they go through all the tests, you know, garlic, reflection, holy water, and try to see, you know, if they can, like, make this guy burst into flames or not see his reflection, and nothing works. So we're like, well, he can't be the the guy, too. And then they find out later, well, you just ruined all your rules when you let him into the house. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Looking back at it, too, when you find out where this is going, our experts, the Frog Brothers, are pretty shitty at their job. (laughs) Yes. Because garlic, they tell a little bit later, has no effect. It never has. That doesn't make any sense. I think the water that they spill on him is just regular water. Oh, okay. I don't even think it's holy water. It's just tap water for dinner. The reflection, maybe. I mean, maybe that's a thing. But on top of everything else, because they invited him in, they're not even aware of what your best line of defense is against the vampire. And that's unless you actively invite one of them to come into your house, they can't. They can't come in. So if the Frog Brothers can't even handle this scenario with one possible vampire that seems at this point to be like the most docile man on the planet, Mm -hmm. man, inept, Mm -hmm. incompetent, yeah. uh, compared to, if I'm not mistaken, what's going on around this time with the Lost Boys, and I think they show up at the bonfire around this time to vamp that. The Aerosmith bonfire? The Aerosmith bonfire <laughs> to wipe out all of those townies at the bonfire. Yeah, I forgot about that scene, actually. And yeah, that's great because the whole time you're like, walk this way. <laughs> so two teams, right? The Lost Boys, David's team, including mm-hmm. Michael. Yep. And the Frog Brothers team. Yep. One of them's really good at what they do and one of them isn't. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, I love that though. That's that's what makes it work. Yeah, no, it's and it's it's the 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 Frog Brothers and Sam's you know ineptitude is like not like it's comical, but not to the point of like ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like, I think they're really trying to like be serious and be adult about how they're approaching this 
threat, but also not having the skills and resources to, to do so. But when, you know, Michael learns more about the vampire and he sees Sutherland transform with fangs and eyes and he's like, he's like, this is what you're going to become, Michael. Like, this is going to be you. Uh, a great scene. And like you said, they like, this is like here, there, we don't have any rules about how often they need to feed like we had in the hunger last week. Mm-hmm. But the bonfire townies become just fodder for for these guys uh, to feast as they're hanging from like the tree <laughs> it's just so so silly and i love that aerosmith's playing at that time that's like right like when they're uh probably around the time that the run dmc version of that song came out too that yeah. music video where they like burst through the wall yeah. <laughs> yeah uh so that's pretty good and then you know we come back and you know Corey Haim is still suspicious but when star shows up and floats up to his window she's like she's one too and it's at this point where he's like, I'm getting on the horn with these guys. And if you can let me know. And she kind of wants out at that point. She's like, he's like, I need a way out. We need to find out who the head vampire is. Because if we end him, we'll end the whole thing. Right. And because we're not fully transformed, we'll come back to our full human state. Exactly. Yeah. And so, we can be together. Yeah. And then so we, this is a romance. Yeah. And then, so that we could do that. So who are we calling? Calling the Frog Brothers. We're going to go to the Shantate cave by the coast. And we're going to catch them while they nap. And we're going to end this whole thing too. Mm-hmm. So, in theoretic and um, being theoretical about it, if they killed Edward Herman first, Kiefer Sutherland, all they would have reverted back to human form, right? Per their nomenclature mythology of the film, yes. Because what ends up happening is they all get killed before they kill the head vampire, so they're just dead. You know what I mean? So here's the other thing about that too. Yeah. If there's any question that the Frog Brothers might be a little bit in over their heads, you've got four targets. And they're all asleep. You decide to go with the little one first. Alex Winter? <laughs> Poor Bill or Ted, whichever one he is. They do him. Wouldn't you go for the just pure size? Get the big one. Yeah, go for David first. Go for the leader. Yeah. But no, they take out the most innocuous, least terrifying of any of them. No, don't eat it. Good night, blood sucker. No! <laughs> Don't you love how they just get rained down with blood? You're dead meat! You're dead meat. I love it. Let me ask you this, too, because there's a scene later when Diane Weiss first goes to the video store and the Lost Boys come in and, like, youths vagrants you know coming in and like acting amok and edward herman like gives them like side i thought i told you never to come in here again how much power does he have over them and like how they're able to operate and that's a good question Mm -hmm. they don't seem to listen to anybody else so i guess i would argue complete Mm -hmm. do you think that he made all four of them absolutely he made all four you don't think he made david and david made the other three Mm, um, maybe that yeah so, yeah, there's a definite hierarchy here, though. Mm-hmm. Um, because if those, even if you didn't know they were vampires, these rebellious youths that just cause problem after problem on the boardwalk night after night show up, and this dude in glasses in the video store says, hey, get to step and loser, and they do. Mm-hmm. Something is clearly working here to keep them in check. Yeah, I, I almost wish, because this is like a 94-minute film, I believe. I, mm-hmm. I almost wish there was maybe another 15 minutes 
that got a little bit into, maybe not even 15, maybe 10, that got into the structure of how who got to who, who got to who, and maybe in trying to decode who the head vampire is, Mm -hmm. after all of the Lost Boys have been defeated, maybe there's a walking back from that to get it to... Maybe, maybe. I'm just saying, I think that there's some some ground here that was fertile enough that didn't get fully tilled. Well, maybe this reimagining might go into that. Yeah, maybe. Or yeah. Uh, I'm surprised because there's two direct-to-DVD sequels of The Lost Boys, Lost Boys of the Tribe and Lost Boys of the Thirst. Mm-hmm. They're terrible. Mm. But I'm surprised they didn't go go to that. Like, how did it all start? Selden's in one of them, isn't he? He's in both of them. Oh, is he both? Yeah. Okay. And I think the other Frog Brothers in the latter one, The Thirst. Mm-hmm. But they're like, it's... They're not good. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm a, that, that's another question in this in this film that I've always kind of wanted to know. Like, how did this happen? When did it happen? How long has it been happening? And, like, what's the relationship there? Because bar that scene, we don't really see the two of them together. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than when he comes to the house at the end and sees him impaled on Grandpa's taxidermy workshop. <laughs> And he kind of like looks over David's corpse and is like a look of concern. And we're like, what's going on there? Like, what's he thinking about? And then kind of turns away and like reveals himself at that time. Yeah. Uh, so we're setting the stage for a finale here. You went and pissed off the vampires. You let you let sleeping dogs lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, they almost bring Sam into the, into the crypt, but he gets burned by sunlight as they pull him out of the threshold. And then now it's just, we have but two hours to prepare for the final onslaught because once that sun sets, you know they're going to come for us. We took a little drummer boy and uh, and Star here. They're going to come for them, and they're coming for us because we killed one of their numbers. What do you think of this kind of final home aloning of the house? Well uh, said, perfect, perfect. Uh, yeah, just trying to like create some sort of a sanctuary before they before they come and attack us. Yeah, they create a stronghold that has enough defenses in there. They hope to fight them off. I love the bit with the church. Oh, when they go to the baptism and go to the baptism and fill their squirt guns and thermoses and canteens up with holy water. Yes. It's so good. Well, what's great about their squirt guns is like it, one of them has like a, almost like a newsy automatic machine gun, but it squirts water. You know what I mean? Like they don't even have like a weapon. Yeah. That's the weapon. Right. So they fill them up with, with holy water and everyone's like, what's going on over there? Uh, but then they go fill up the bathtub with the holy water. They line it with garlic. Uh, they have some steaks. And that's kind of about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's about <laughs> all you got. And so when the vampires come, and I always get really stressed out watching this when uh, Nanook. You, you hear Nanook barking. And, you know, this is like Sam's protector. I mean, he already protected him one time from getting vamped. Uh, he's like got like strung up or like tied up against like the front gate. Mm-hmm. And here comes the... POV camera, they're coming. And I was like, are they going to get in a nook in time? They better get that dog in here. Thank goodness they, they all get inside before before they show up. But they just like burst into the house. They burst through the chimney and inside. And it's chaos at that point. Mm-hmm. And so one of these vampires, you know, corners the Frog Brothers in, in, the, in the bathroom. And none of their... I think he even yanks the guns and stuff from their hands and just throws it. Like, that's what I love about the power of this monster is like, they're so unfazed by the weaponry that they just kind of mow through all of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Almost kind of like when we did Friday the 13th, the original, and Mm -hmm. there's the scene when Mrs. Voorhees is chasing Alice and she's like throwing like little things at her and Mrs. Voorhees is just like, yeah, 
That ain't going to hurt me. What are you doing? You have to cut my head off to hurt me. And that's kind of what they do here. I mean, they have the holy water and they throw it in his face. And thank God for Nanook that pushes him into the thing for him to totally melt down. Mm -hmm. Because the frog brothers are just screaming on the floor, clutching each other. Ah, ah, Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. The um, garlic bit, too, I think at this point, that vampire, I forget which that vampire's name is, but he says garlic doesn't do a thing anyway. And that's who said, oh, yeah, we'll try holy water. Mm-hmm. And they splash it on his face. And then once he removes his hands from the burning, he's pretty seared. But you realize it only was a slight wound. And there's really back to your just bat these trivial attempts to defeat me out of the way. Now he's just pissed. Like if they weren't already pissed, now he's furious. And these two guys, the Frog Brothers... Just turtle on the ground in each other's arms, just turtle screaming. Screaming. And Nanook, like you said, comes I, in. I think I have a, a clip of that here, too. Garlic don't work, boys. Try holy water, death breath. There they go. Just losing it. They're like, it worked, but it didn't work fully. And then here comes Nanook and submerges him in all the holy water and then like melts down. And then I forgot this scene too, that like something happens to the plumbing in the house mm. and it's just blood everywhere. It just starts like going through all the faucets and all the, the piping in the house. What a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. That's a strange scene. Um, I like, but it's shocking that there's blood everywhere. You get what they're trying to do. There's something about, I don't know, like the eighties or even just horror in general, but I can appreciate a good, Blood just bursting from pipes scene. I love it. Uh, a lot like, of that in the like, decade. Yeah, a lot of that. Even in It, the new mm-hmm. It, when Beverly gets blasted oh, with, yeah, with right. blood from the sink. Yes. There's just something about that visual that's just, it's A, so unsanitary. Mm. Because it's like going up your nose and your mouth, especially yes. if your mouth's open. But like, oh. how are you cleaning that up? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because blood stains... You're not using a tight to go pin on your walls. You know what I mean? So <laughs> no. So no. there's there's something about that in horror that I can always appreciate a good scene like that. And I had forgotten that that had happened. Other vampire they're doing battle with downstairs and they just throw him into the stereo and he just like fries. Mm-hmm. But the battle we want to see, we want to see Michael face off with David. Like here's scorned, scorned lovers now, like yeah. <laughs> yeah. fighting midair. Uh, was with some wire foo, and it was pretty exciting. I liked it. I wanted to see these guys kind of face off, and yeah, Grandpa's taxidermy like works. No one goes in here but me. You see this shelf in the fridge? This is my snacks. These are my ice cream sandwiches and my roots, <laughs> my root beers. Yeah, <laughs> his hobby job thing that he likes to gift people. He was even gonna gift his his data stuffed beaver. <laughs> so, oh my god, hey, nice beaver. Thanks, I had it stuffed this afternoon. So good. You know what's great about that, though? Mm-hmm. Okay, it's that would fit dad, uh, Grandpa because he's just that, he would be that a guy. A little kooky. Li- well said. Slightly narcoleptic. But they've built it up so that that's actually become a bit of a deal in the script. He's given uh, Sam. Sam, I think, three or four creatures by this time. Mm-hmm. And he just passes these stuffed animal gifts out as tokens of his appreciation. Yeah. But no one goes in there but him. Yes. Okay, well, they break the rule, right? They smash into the wall in this air fight where they're tumbling, 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 and I'll let you finish it off since you set it up. Well, yeah, the, the, the fight concludes. You know, there's a nice fisty cuffs, and they throw, they're fighting in the rafters and whatnot, but Michael throws David into the thing and, like, fully pierces himself, and 
we kind of think that's it. He kind of reverts back to a more human state, less monstrous. And we kind of think, oh, the threads thing. But at this point in the film, the audience is like, been told that David was head vampire. Mm -hmm. And then when like Michael's still all gross looking in the shadows, we're like, it wasn't him. Like what's going on here? Enter Max and mom coming to see what's going, going to muck here at the house. House is in shambles. Mm -hmm. And then we get the, the final reveal. Don't ever invite a vampire into your house, you silly boy. It renders you powerless. Did you know that? Of course. Everyone knows that. Has everyone gone crazy here? What's the matter with all of you? It was you I was after all along, Lucy. What? I knew that if I could get Sam and Michael into the family, there's no way you could say no. Where's Michael? It was all going to be so perfect, Lucy. Just like one big happy family. Your boys and my boys. Great. The blood-sucking Brady Bunch. But I still want you, Lucy. <laughs> I haven't changed my mind about that. I didn't invite you this time, Max. <laughs> what do you think of that? What do you think of his just like revelation of her, his grand plans to create this nuclear family of vampires? And if I get you, I get your kids as well. Like what's going on with Max? So great. Yeah. I, I think it's fantastic. Like you said, you got to round up the family and every family needs mom. So what, what better way to do it than leave her with no choice? Because if you don't come along, you'll never see your boys again. Mm-hmm. What's also great in that is this guy who's kind of dorky looking the whole film. Yeah. Herman. Mm-hmm. Great casting. Yeah. Man, when he changes. It looks good. Yeah, he looks really mm-hmm. good. I haven't changed my mind about you. What was it? There was like, did, I don't know if you heard it. There was like a scream halfway through that. I was going to ask you the same thing. Where that is that Laddie upstairs? I don't know what that is. I, I think that's Laddie upstairs. Okay. By this point, guys, Laddie is uh, with um, Star. And he had his own little freak out moment, too. Yeah, he had a moment in the bathroom, too, that almost... Or no, they they do the guy on the stereo. I mm-hmm. think her, Star and Laddie kill the guy on the stereo. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Yeah. So maybe that's Laddie hanging on um, to some semblance of humanity or sanity. I don't know. That was interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah. I was like, where did, where did that come from? But I had noticed that until you played the sound. Mm-hmm. But here comes Grandpa to save the day, just pounds through, like, the living room of his house and, like, fully spears uh, Edward Max, Edward Herman, to the wall. And now Head Vampire has been killed, and everything kind of reverts back to normal. We've killed the curse of Nosferatu, Star's okay, the little boy reverts back, and now we can kind of go about our business and... I love how that wraps up where he goes for one of his roots, my root beers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, there's one thing I can't stand about Santa Carla, all the damn vampires. Goddamn vampires. And they just kind of look at him with like, not a wry smile, but it's more of like a, you fucking kidding me kind of glance. Like mm-hmm. you could have told us about this before we moved here, yeah. but a, while we're dealing with all this, you could have like helped us out. So his grandpa Emerson been battling vampires for years. Like what's going on there too. Yeah. It would seem the answer is yes. Because he hasn't moved, so he's got uh, enough confidence to not want to get the hell out of there. Well, I wouldn't stick around in that town. You know what was interesting, too? When he was like laying like fence posts outside, they looked like stakes. stakes. 
Yep. So like he knew he, he, he yeah, he knew, of course, but like he's been doing his own battles mm-hmm. on the side. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of questions this movie answers that I would kind of like to see like what what that was all about. Yeah. I do know a couple little pieces of trivia and then I have I have some questions for you. Uh, the plan was to like, you know, Kiefer Sutherland looks looks dead as dead over there, but like to kind of leave it ambiguous because to bring him back for a sequel that they were going to do called Lost Girls. Uh, kind of continue the story, but I don't know why it never happened. I think it was just script Devo hell that they just could never get past development on that, but that's kind of interesting. I would believe that because this is, like I said, a 92, 94 minute film that had three writers on it. Mm -hmm. Did you think that was weird too? Yes. Three for a 90 minute spec script about vampires. I think two of them like, like conceptually came up with it. I think another guy kind of like really put it together. Yeah. Devo hell for, uh, the Lost Girls. That would have been good to see. Interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an eight point five million dollar budget, thirty two million dollar gross. So again, we recouped its it, its money. But I think the legacy of this film was the cult effect afterwards, where people that found it were like, "Hey, this is pretty. This is a pretty cool vampire movie." And it kind of grew throughout the years, which is almost as good as you know, like making a lot of money. You know what I mean? One of the mistakes that they made in the marketing of this film was the video that circulated around it was the NXS video. Featuring Jimmy Barnes. Mm. Who the hell is Jimmy Barnes? Yeah. So that's a pretty catchy song. And in 1987, NXS was a pretty popular band. Mm -hmm. So there was a good trailer out that was the length of that song. But to this day, and I'm not going to look it up, and I'm sure someone would know, but (laughs) I know a lot of music. I have no idea who the F Jimmy Barnes is. You don't, there's no NXS featuring Jimmy Barnes. It's just NXS. Have you ever heard of Jimmy Barnes? No, yeah. What the hell? Yeah. In a devil inside. Right. Need you tonight. Like we're right. This is like right on the verge of kick. I think mm-hmm. this is right before kick and we're talking anyway. So I'm actually a little surprised that it only did 32. I thought it would be upwards of 50. I'm sure later with video and stuff, it went through the um, stratosphere. And like you said, the legacy is mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Um, 32 on eight is a win, but I'm wondering if Schumacher thought he was going to do better than this. Who Maybe. produced it? Do you remember what studio produced? I forgot. This to is look. Warner brothers. It is Warner. <laughs> Uh, we're doing a Warner Brothers movie? Yeah, huh. Warner Brothers. Yes. <clears throat> Trying to spurn us again? Not quite. Mm. Warner Brothers had... Uh, 87 was kind of... Because they also had Lethal Weapon that same summer as well. So they got a lot of a lot of things in motion here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's about it in terms of just the little anecdotes and, and whatnot. Uh, Lost Boys from 1987. What's your favorite tasting note of this film? I think that first scene in the cave when David and the other three vampires begin the seduction of Michael Mm -hmm. uh, is really a slow burn in a 94-minute film. And I remember in the theater seeing this, being really anxious Mm -hmm. over what was going to happen with Michael because you can just see that they're toying with him. And the obvious answer is, well, just leave. But he's so far in, I don't know if leaving would even work anyway. Uh, Trapped. And I still got that feeling this time. So I'm going to go with that. But there's a lot. But I'm mm-hmm. going to choose that that dining scene, if you will, in the cave. Okay. Maggots. Maggots, Michael. Maggots. I think mine's this <clears throat> end sequence. I think it's a lot of fun. I think the ways they dispose of them are interesting and unique. And I, it, all the way up until the final death, like I still feel like I was like, the odds are against this group of vampire fighters. Like They almost need more luck than anything on their side. So I really like how the whole scenes play out and the confrontations and the revelations like it's all a lot of fun and the makeup and the effects look pretty good what's your oh my 
moment of the Lost Boys where you need to polish off some more Woolcott bottled and bond. The first time I saw it, and I'm going to go with that, okay, was when they jump through the train tracks mm. and are hanging on to whatever apparatus that is as the train is rolling by. Yeah. Because they, they've done it before. Yeah. Michael hasn't. And I really felt uncomfortable for him and worried for him. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's that, that that that's a great it's a great visual moment. I like that kind of long shot that they have of them hanging from it, and it's like an optical with like a model and whatnot. That looks great. What's yours? Mine's the little opening uh, bit with Tim Capello because it's oh my god because I just can't imagine how like how into it that crowd is at that particular musician. But the fact that they go all in on that, and I think everyone remembers that like saxophonist guy from this the, this movie. So that's my oh my god because I I like it so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not an oh my god bad moment. It's it's, it's just so peculiar how it works into this movie. <laughs> how heavy is that sax or a sax like what is that weigh? Ten uh, pounds? Fifteen pounds? Yeah, twelve. 12 ish pounds. That's pretty good to just be sort of handling it the way he is, yeah, like he's you just mentioned, gripping it with a hand and then just. and it's just like almost like he's like a wwe fighter the musician the musician fighter Mm -hmm. and then this is like his like intro you know what i mean yes (laughs) that's the affect of that scene love it (laughs) so well said that is like a ww with the fire and the crowd exactly off the top rope snooker yep yep who's the master distiller on the lost boys i think Kiefer sutherland good choice great vampire Mm -hmm. uh like I said earlier, I think maybe we might have missed a little something with him. He had a good career, so we didn't miss Kiefer Sutherland yeah. by any means. Did you do 24? The first season, um, and then I didn't I do always anymore. wanted to get into that. I never took the plunge. Yeah, it might be worth it. I like the concept. Yeah. A day. It is cool. <laughs> like, literally real time. A season? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's cool. Uh, so I'm going to give it to him. I just think he's, he's great and really showing off his chops. And I think the truth with him, I think he enjoys his craft. Sure, yeah. One of the things that's so just nauseating to me is the tortured actor. Yeah. Bail to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Not quite, but yes, bail. Not Kiefer Sutherland. He recognizes what this is. I'm going to have fun with it, and I'm going to be the best goddamn blonde vampire you've never seen. Even like bail to an extent, I think he still enjoys what he does, yeah. too, to the point where the cinematographer in the background is enough to like throw him off, and then he just lets him have it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't believe I'm going to do this. I'm going to have to Joel Schumacher. We like threw him on the slab for Batman and Robin for like kind of ruining that character and almost ruining superhero films for a long time. Mm -hmm. He's in full control of this. He's got a great cast. And I think that's what he said. The strength of this film was the cast that I was able to put together. For sure. Um, I had read that Richard Donner was supposed to make this uh, too. And then I think he got busy with lethal weapon. He got busy with lethal weapon. And then his approach was going to be more kid friendly and, Schumacher came in, made it a little bit more adult. Is this R or PG thirteen? Hmm, I, I don't think know. it might be PG thirteen. I'll, I'll look. I'll look. It shouldn't be an R, really, should it? It kind of feels like it. It would be R of that era. You know what I mean? Yeah. But is there a single F word in the whole film? There might be one. There's. I, I mean, other. I think it's PG thirteen. Might be. Yeah. I think he's just in full control. The effects look great. The cinematography, all the subtext, the characters are infinitely interesting. And I think it's just a director, you know, kind of showing up. And that's probably his, he'd made a few movies prior to that, but that's probably like his like, boom, I'm here, Joel Schumacher. Like, what do you got for me next? And I actually, I don't know what, what was on his plate after this, but I'm I'm sure it was something fairly big uh, post Lost Boys. So I'm going to give it to him. That's crazy. Um, I'm looking here okay. and R. 
R. <laughs> Interesting. It doesn't, it's like a soft R. Boy, it's really soft yeah. R. Yeah. How are you going to rate and grade the Lost Boys? We have Rock Gut, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Single Barrel. Uh, it's a really fun watch. It's a really good watch. There's a couple of not perfect moments, but that is all secondary to a really cool, unique rock and roll of its era presentation of vampires that heightened more action compared to horror. Oh, yeah. I don't know prior to this, if that is something that I can recall, me, no, uh, when, no, not Predator. When's Predator? That's the same year too. Okay, so not even Predator, where we actually presented a pretty established villain trope, horror mm-hmm. vampires in this really new, unique way. But you know what they did in this that I have to respect? Yeah. Despite all that, they mostly adhered to the rules. You got it. Yeah. And that was something that the last 20 years need to go to school on big time. Yeah, big except t- for let the right one in. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that's, and they, they state them a couple times. They test them out a couple times. They kill with them a couple times. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's really well established. And then introducing some new things too, like just this whole hierarchy that like Edward Herman represents to the rest of the Lost Boys. And the thing of you're not fully vampiric until you make a kill, like that's a bit new. I had never really seen that before prior to this film. So. I think it's it's toying with a lot of interesting things, and again the the mental mind meld of you're eating maggots, David. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think we see that enough. Like we need more of that skill and yeah. fooling people in our vampire films. Not glistening abs in the sunshine. Yeah, that doesn't show up in Twilight either. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go single barrel too. I think this is a wholly unique vampire film. I don't want to say punk rock, but like rock and roll esque vampires. Yeah. Uh, that you're right. More action versus horror. But even when the horse stuff in, it's 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 so much fun that you're just kind of along for the ride. I love all the characters. I love all the. This is one of my favorite movie soundtracks of all time because um, it's not over. It's it's eighties without being like she's a maniac and like Wang Chung. It's like not that like Kenny Log. It's not that type of eighties soundtrack. It's kind of like more indie like alternative rock soundtrack. Right. Well, I mean Lou Graham and his solo mm-hmm. efforts. That guy that does the Cry Little Sister in excess. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're playing Mr. Tim Capello. <laughs> there you go. How could we forget? Or how could I forget? Yeah. It has an indie score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not Kenny Loggins. This is not yeah, it's, it's, Danger Zone. Yeah, it's more just kind of sub, uh, you know, subdued a bit, and it fits the movie really well. Yes. Yeah, Single Barrel. This is one of my favorite vampire films. It's I, I could watch it all the time. Me too. Uh, and I'm what is what is this new one going to look like? I'm sure we'll talk about it when it comes out, but yeah. it's got a lot of work to do to live up to what we just did for the last hour. So, you know, I'm curious, have they given dates on it or Salem's lot yet? Uh, no. If those are in a relatively close, close yeah. two things can happen. Obviously that's a cask in the future for us, but I wonder if they're, if they're both successful. We got a resurgence, you know. Yeah, because with what Universal is trying to do and recreate with the Invisible Man and Wolfman coming, mm-hmm. you know they're going to take another shot at a vampire flick. Sure, maybe we're on to which I'm good with because keep them coming. Yeah, that's good. They just need to be good movies. You know what I mean? Yes. Like we've been in like a state of 2021, like just kind of bad cinema. Ooh, uh, so we need, except for Mank, that yeah. was good. <laughs> Had to do it. We need a winner, man. Yeah. Uh, but let's wrap this up with our nightcap. But it's- 
thing I could come up with within the confines of the film was that the entire town was under the vampiric trance that they would buy into that concert and be so into it. I'd be one of them though. Anyway, look at the, could we just be while we're on here? So we've got lost in the shadows, Lou Graham. This is right after he left foreigner. Don't let the sun go down on me by Roger Daltrey Mm -hmm. laying down the law with NXS. People are strange by echo and the bunny man. Cry little sister, as you mentioned from Gerard McMahon. And Mm -hmm. I think he said that was his only one. Um, power play by Eddie and the Tide, your Tim Capello guy, and then to the shock of Miss Louise Thomas Newton, which I think is more of a like a musical. That's a huge soundtrack mm-hmm. with Unders- not understated <laughs> artists, yeah, with not pop pop forty mm-hmm. guys and gals. I love it. Great it's, stuff. It's one of my favorites. Cue us up for our nightcap. Okay, so this is something that maybe we will keep in perpetuity going forward, but I got to thinking about Jamie Gertz a little bit, Mm -hmm. and the age-old question of whatever happened to you popped into my mind. So let's just choose a decade, and we'll choose the 80s, and I want you, not a ranking, just a mention of a whatever happened to player from the 1980s, and then maybe going forward, if that comes up, we'll put some sound in that's the... I have it. Let's hear it. Love it. Jesus. We've got some new sound. Don't you love it? It's so oh, good. Oh, man, that's a bomb obliterating something. So in honor of uh, the well, can gorgeous I, Jamie Gertz. Can I just talk about her for a little bit, too? Please because, do. you know, I, I know Jamie Gertz from three things. This, Less Than Zero, and Twister. She's Bill Paxson's fiance that he's trying to get the divorce papers signed to so he can marry her in Twister. But I know the last thing I saw her in was a CBS sitcom called Still Standing that was like early 2000s, and that was just like on while I did homework in middle school. You know what I mean? I mm. saw every episode of that show, and that was I think, the last thing I saw her in. And I, I told you she married like a, a billionaire, so she's 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 in, she's in good hands and, you know, you know financially secure, so she doesn't have to be in, in films or TV. Yeah. Who I'm picking, maybe you know who I'm picking, but I'm picking my my favorite 80s crush who kind of just did the same thing and called it quits and decided to become, you know, a mother and, you know, married uh, another respective actor. I'm going with Phoebe Cates, yep. Fast Times, Gremlins, Drop Dead Fred, and then just that was kind of it. She retired from acting in 94. Uh, she got pregnant and then married Kevin Klein and is kind of been done ever since and she was big in the 80s I mean, she was the 80s it girl i mean the fast we, we go listen to our fast times episode mm-hmm. but she was always kind of like that girl next door thing and um i always loved her and i'm surprised she didn't do more get kind of picked to do other kind of bigger ideas but once she called it quits that was that was kind of it for her uh, i have a runner-up claudia wells from back to the future who plays jennifer marty's girlfriend who disappeared after that film to the mm. point where she was replaced by Elizabeth Shue for part two. So mm. uh, I kind of want to know more about, you know, what, what happened there. 
Um, but I don't want to, uh, I have, have some others, but, uh, I want to, I want to hear what you're picking first. I think mine is similar and look to yours Okay. and maybe three, I, not officially retired and there's some things in there, but I'm going with Mia Sarah. Uh, that's a good one. Right. Yeah. Mia Sarah is Ferris Bueller's day off and legend. Yeah. Legend. Oh God. Legend. Right. <laughs> David Bowie again. Um, no, that's, that's uh, Bowie's. Oh uh, no, that's uh, a labyrinth. labyrinth. My bad. That's Connolly and labyrinth. No, uh, Tim Curry's the guy in, uh. Oh, led is that oh, a great looking the devil, devil. Yeah, yeah, with Tom Cruise? She's in Time Cop. Hang on, real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you get Legend and Willow mixed up all in the, your head all the time? Yeah, I was like, which one's Val Kilmer and which one's Cruise? Yep. <laughs> and which one was Ridley Scott and which one was Ron Howard? <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> there's like the same movie, and then throw Never Ending Story in there, and we're all fucked up. I think you just named a cast. No way. No, I don't. <laughs> no I don't, way. I don't want to do that cast. Yeah, uh, those are movies I do not like. Uh, Birds of Prey. I think that's a series. Uh, she was in Time Cop. I don't remember in Time Cop. Um, that's not a good movie. It's <laughs> no. a movie called The Maddening, I think, with Burt Reynolds. But uh, yeah, Mia well, Sarah. You mentioned the two good ones. And yeah, she kind of had that like girl next door. Like dude, everyone wanted to be with Ferris Bueller's with Sloan. You know what I mean? Sloan. Sloan Peterson. Like she was like, she was so cool. Like to the point where Ferris like just breaks her out of for the day by impersonating her father. Yep. You're an asshole. <laughs> There's a, a mention. I might throw Christy Swanson in there too, but yeah, that yeah. might be a little bit out of the time that I allowed by the time she was kind of done with Buffy and some of the other stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think we've got some amazing choices and a new trope that we're going to add to the show. Sure. And I think we can fit a lot of, you know, we, we say Claude Rains a lot, but like, I think a lot of like, even Jason Patrick kind of fits in this as well. Like, like where did that guy go? You know, from this, I don't remember him being good at anything for a while again until Rush. Did you see Rush? Mm. And then Sleepers. That's like 96, and Sleepers is like 98. Yep. Who was the guy I mentioned on the phone when you brought this up? Oh, you Billy Crudup? No. Um, well, he would fit as well. Yeah. I, Josh Lucas. Josh. There you go, Josh Lucas. God, what happened to that guy? Uh, Don Haskins and the UTEP story, and that was the end of him. He was in Poseidon. He was in some big movie. The mm -hmm. Hulk. He was uh, Talbot. And, and, oh, yeah. And then the Hulk. Uh, Angley Hulk. What, mm -hmm. what happened to him? Mm -hmm. Sweet Home Alabama with Reese Witherspoon. That's what happened to him. <laughs> I think that movie was a hit, man. I, I uh, anyway, but no, it's a great thing. And so now we had that sound, that exclusively gigantic bomb in there that we can mention. Like, what happened to that actor? I got one more. Okay. Mandy Patinkin. Shows up again later in Homeland, but it's a long time like from the Princess prince Bride to Homeland. Sure. I, I've i heard a lot of bad things about I, him on set. He's you hard too? to work with. Yeah. So I've heard so the same. That's you, when you develop a rep, yeah, you lose out on gigs. So yeah. yep. Interesting. Well, that's a wrap on The Lost Boys from 1987. Check it out. I'm sure a lot of people that are going to tune in this have seen that movie. So you just have a good time listening to this one. But we're going to wrap up this cask next week with another just powerhouse a personal favorite of mine. And I have a story to tell you next week, Matt. I'm not going to tell you until we're doing the episode, but it's it's wild. Before you announce it, can I say one thing? Yeah. Do we want to see if any of Rye Nation can guess it and just let it be a surprise for next week, or do you want to let the cat out of the bag? The cat might be already out of the bag, too, because of the T public. There's oh. some designs on there. Yeah, yeah, okay. Let's just let it out. Do it. From 85, so two years before this film, we're going to do Fright Night. Mm. Tom Holland's Fright Night. Not... Spider-Man Tom Holland, but director Tom Holland. Another Sarandon vampire. Chris Sarandon, William Ragsdale. What what did that guy do after Fright Night? Mm -hmm. uh, he kind of almost had a, a Vince, uh, not Vince Gilligan. 
Gilligan from uh, Gremlins. Oh, yeah. Zach, Zach Galligan. Zach Galligan. They're like the same guy. And yeah. the, you kind of think those guys would like be like huge actors, and they kind of didn't do much after that. Amanda Burse. And... Uh, Roddy McDowell. I can't wait to talk about Fright Night. And we finally, we've done, we we did, we picked well. We did In the City, Punk, mm. Peter Murphy, David Bowie, Vampire. We did uh, West Coast, uh, Rock, Vampire, Action, Horror. Mm. Now we're doing just like straight next door domesticated vampire film. Sweet. I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, it's going to be a great discussion. I have a great story for you next week about this and what happened when we saw this film. We're going to have some good stories. Some serious fallout. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, well, you have that coming to you next week. So cheers. 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 I got to get going. I noticed a crevice in the backyard. I'm going to go dig into it, and I hope there's not some Chantate uh, 1906 San Francisco earthquake vampire lair in that hole. And if there is, I need to get the Frog Brothers on speed dial. Well, I'm going to go get a good workout in because if you're going to rock the shirtless sax, you need a shirtless trombone. (laughs) So I'm going to play that part for you. What a band we'll be. Indeed. We'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. For more Rye Smile content, go to patreon.com slash Films for exclusive bonus episodes plus feature-length watch-along commentaries on your favorite movies and TV show recap episodes covering the best from the small screen. For Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. The Lost Boys is property of Warner Brothers Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. You're creature of the night, Michael. Just like out of a comic book. You're a vampire, Michael. My own brother, a goddamn shit-sucking vampire. Oh, you wait till mom finds out, buddy.